Hey, this is John Willis again, um, and it's another uh, profound Deming podcast. And I found another sort of Demingite out there, you know, just trying to find everybody that just wants to talk about Deming. So, uh, Mike, you want to introduce yourself? Okay, yeah. Hello, my name's Mike Harris. I'm a testing professional. Uh, I work for Decaport in London, and uh, I'm also vice chair of the British Computer Society Specialist Interest Group in Software Testing, oh, wow. which we call SIGIST, which is much shorter and simpler. And uh, I've contributed to a couple of ebooks about testing. Uh, uh, first one, Testing Stories, I mentioned Deming, and the other one was uh, how, do I, how Can I Test That? And I have a, a blog. Uh, which uh, uh, I've regularly uh, write about Deming as well. So the um, you know I, I think only once I got called out for asking this question, so I think I, I'm going to stick with it until I get called out twice. But I, yeah. I find a lot of people have a Deming moment, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, so and that it was for me and most people I asked. So like, so what was your sort of Deming? Like, what was sort of like the moment? Like my moment was like I had a moment. And then, in fact, for me, there's always these moments like, wow, I right. really know yeah. what you're talking about. But tell me your, your sort of your background about like why you got interested in Deming, how, why you okay. became passionate about him. Well, I was a test leader at a startup in London, and we were moving to have an agile transition with a couple of scrum teams and a Kanban team. And so I was managing the testers and part of the management team for that. And um, just decided to find out a lot more about Lean and Agile. Actually, all the management did. And we studied and we read. Um, we had an Agile coach. And Deming kept coming up in all the books. I was reading, there's this bloke, Deming. Okay, <laughs> so who is he? And so I read more about him and uh, just found that his philosophy seems to underpin everything that we were trying to do. And uh what we did was successful as well. Uh, we, we got a successful exit from uh, from that startup. So uh, uh, that made me think, well, this works. And uh, that's really when it, I became, uh, that was my Deming moment. That's when I became really sort of interested in Deming and I've continued to explore his work ever since. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, I thought it was fun. I, you know, you, I guess you were talking about, um, Sort of a you know I've heard this so I I I um, I've gotten to know uh, Elizabeth Hendrickson you know she's another sort of agile testing and on and she was yeah. pointing in an early podcast they were that some of the early um, agile and Scrum advocates were um, you know were basically um, also pointing out Deming's work and I sort of I think it was your, your one of your blogs we talked about Jet Sutherland and Scrum yeah that's right yeah. And, when that uh, the, the so you go back to some of that early stuff um the um i, I guess the one thing I, I saw is you you it looks like you run the red bead game and, yes uh, yes i've i've, I've, I've written about it i've never actually run it it'd be an interesting thing to do but i've written about it a few times yeah what are your thoughts about it so in general um i think it's uh each time i write something about it i see something new um I think it's really interesting and useful because you can talk about a whole range of issues without it being somewhere that you've worked or your friend works. So it's uh, very handy in that way. Um, I I think it brings out issues where people feel powerless at work. They're held responsible for things that they can't uh, control, Um, which is one of the essence of it. But also the other essence of it is this, that, that 
people feel like that because they're managed rather than led. Um, so there's all sorts of issues you can deal with there. Um, the first thing I, the second thing I think I wrote about it was actually what should you do with the inspectors in or the test team in the red beans because um, they don't add any value. And they're telling everybody, well, actually, you haven't done what you met your target. Well, they can't meet their target. So actually, what could you do with them? Uh, and uh, they've got a lot of skills, so there are useful things that they could do. And if you look at other parts of Deming's philosophy, he talks about how you need to be working with your suppliers to improve quality. So in fact, what the big issues with the red beads is, in fact, they're supplied a mixture of red and white beads. And um, if the uh, inspectors were to use their skills and work with the suppliers, then they could improve the quality of the supply of red beads and there'd be less white beads in there. And, uh, oh, sorry, less, there'd be no, less no, red beads and more white beads in yeah. there. And uh, that would help people in, improve the quality of their work. Um, so that there's, I think there's all sorts of things you can do with the red beads. Um, and I think, then we had quite a number of different lessons you could learn from it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, I, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about like I, I saw your article and I, I really liked it, and then I thought about like, you know, I've been, you know, really so I, so I finished my book right, like ten year journey, but now you know, really two years of serious, you know, it's called Deming's uh, Journey yeah. to Profound Knowledge, where I really try to tell a story of how he picks up profound knowledge right and, and you know uh-huh. variation is a big part of it but they're all in you know knowledge variation uh, yeah, yeah yeah and systems um the I, the thing i thought about it after your article i was like this is really cool right and then i said uh-huh. you know I, I immediately had this like what if deming came back today i think he'd be pretty upset they like guys like that was the game when I died in '93. Like you didn't like expand it at all, and and he do, he does leave some breadcrumbs, like you said, where he says, you know, you know, possibly when you realize that you know that that it is out of the control of the workers, it's it's, yeah. it's in process basically. You know, he says that that would be a time to go back to the suppliers and stuff like that, and um and I think like a modern version of this game would be to stop at like the fifth iteration. And then have like um, a post mortem, and then have you know sort of like you said, the testers are you know they're they're you know we're assuming they're just willing workers, but like in our world, typically they're they're very sort of valuable people that really right. yeah, and like everybody to step back and take the systems view and say, um, you know what, we've got like two resources that are not being utilized properly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Could they basically be sort of involved in just some other sampling or, you know, like, could, yeah. yeah. So I think that's what you were sort of saying, right? Was... Yeah. I mean, looking at the building quality in is sort of one of it comes from Deming. And yeah. uh, so uh, one of the ways you could look at building in is working more closely with your supplier. Um, I think the article I, I mentioned uh, the four parts of the system of profound knowledge uh, and how you, you could, you could, that I could lead you in that direction and support your decision because you'd be looking at variation. So actually, that would be one of the things that you'd be measuring. You'd need to look at psychology because you've got some inspectors who presumably feel good about what they're doing. Uh, they've been doing it for a while and you're actually saying, to them, well, actually, you could, we would like you to go and do something else. Uh, 
But at, so there's this important part of psychology there. Uh, there's this part of systems thinking as well, that actually um, the uh, Red Beads Company, it, the White Beads Company is uh, not an autonomous system. So actually they've got to look at how they work with other systems such as their suppliers. So there's there's always so much there. Uh, so much, so many different directions you can you can go in. And what I've tried to do with, with each thing that I've written is just take an aspect of the red beads so that uh, people can and see, see that that's useful or this is useful. Uh, Good. And and so in, and so to your testing, like how do you find uh, sort of Deming philosophy? Um, you know, sort of work its way into you know, the, the what you do on a daily basis or how you help customers? Uh, any good examples there? I'd say one, one of the interesting things for me recently was uh, this, the theory of knowledge, actually, because there's a, the, perhaps the most commonly used testing technique, boundary value analysis I'd used. And I'd got a pound of bug, so that was good. But actually, when I got involved in a discussion, I realized I'd used the technique incorrectly. And if I hadn't had a theory as to how to use the technique, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't have learned, had something to, to a theory to revise, I wouldn't have learned from it. So I think that that was something there that I've learned from just recently. Um, uh, I mean, initially, I was very interested in the, the Deming cycle, uh, but actually, the System of profound knowledge has become uh, far more interesting, I think, more recently. Uh, I think I was interested in the, the Deming cycle because uh, working in sort of waterfall team, making a monthly release, and then the transition to working in t- uh, teams that are working iteratively is, is huge. And you could just see the benefits of uh, plan, do, study, act, um, which you weren't able to do in a waterfall monthly release. Um, so this was uh, that was my initial game, but just say uh, and seeing that I had testers, you could say, well, we've got a problem here. Why can't we do that? And, and, and learning from what you were doing, but just say, just recently, this thing with the theory of knowledge, I think, is very interesting. I'm going to post something about it next week. Uh, yeah. I- yeah. No, I think um, you know that I think there's the whole PDSA and the history of PDSA. I think it was Ron Moen. I know you did something about this, the history of PDSA and it's sort of fascinating from where it starts from Shewitt, then it goes to sort of, uh, you know, Japan, and then it gets sort of called PDCA and like yeah. the whole history. But um, the thing I've I've thought a lot about is how do you meld the, the Plan, Do, Study, Act with the profound knowledge? And I think there is a mapping that works, right, which is, yeah. the, you know, the planning is really the I, – I think, uh, you know, I've said this before, but I, I think that um, – the more I've learned about the system of profound knowledge, or it's just, I think anybody who's listened this far in the podcast knows what it is, but it's theory of knowledge, theory of variation, theory of psychology, and appreciation. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that, you know, there should be an order, um, you know, and I, I like, I'm still sort of like convinced I'm right about this, but I think the order is, you know, the theory of knowledge, which is how do I know what I think I know, you know, back to yeah, you. Yeah. Right? And then the, um, and that's the plan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the sort of do is um, how do we like check or verify what we think we know, right? The doing yeah. is the sort of the, um, the you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's the theory of variation. Yeah. 
which is more right. than just SPC. It really is analytical statistics. Like, you know, how do we sort of use the uh, statistical analysis to tell us, you know, where we're going to go to sort of figure out the problem. And then your study then is your psychology and systems thinking. Okay, right. right. That's interesting. And, so, and then your act is like what you've learned and and what you what you know yeah. what for the decision. And I, I think in that case that the uh, theory of knowledge and PDSA map very well. And um, because you're always starting off with this sort of like this, you know, this epistemological question of like what what is you know what do I think what do I what do I think I know right mm-hmm. and and then you're sort of going through some process. To that. So I think they're both are very consistent. Um, and, you know, and I think if you take your sort of uh, boundary, you should call it boundary plan analysis or boundary value analysis or value analysis. OK, cool. Yeah. And um, and, and you know, you take that in your example, basically, you, you, you had, you know, fortunately, you didn't just do it. You had a theory of what it was going to do. Yeah. You use some type of type of analysis to figure yeah. out what it you know, what was the um, yeah. You needed that to sort of be able to then study the analysis and study, you know, you, you know, depending on what you needed to do and correct me or add, add to this. But you, um, you know, at some point, depending on who you were interacting, what the motivations were, what your inner interrelationship motivations were, you had the right. psychological lens right. and you apply the sort of system thinking like is, right. is what I'm about to do going to, you know, just improve a local pr- improvement or is going to affect right. so yeah i think that's uh yeah pretty cool um thank you yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I think you just looking at some of the other stuff um you um you know you talk i, I you did write about continuous delivery and continuous deployment and i guess in general yeah. t- tell us a little more just about like the, the i think this is worthwhile um anything more on deming but like what what should we know about? It sounds like you know I, I've had a couple of people, uh, Adam Hawkins and like I said, of Elizabeth yeah. Henderson. I think that a lot of people in DevOps don't really, and I'm, I'm making this assumption based on me. We yeah. don't really understand the true strong history of people who've been doing testing for years. Right. Understand a deeper discipline than just the testers. You know what I mean? Right. The early days of DevOps was get Dev and Ops together. And then you're like, oh, well, now we got to go get the testers, the QA people to come in. Right. And, right. and you're like, okay. And it seemed like it was easier to get the QA people in than like maybe the network and all the ones that. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Because, because, you know, I'll say you, you guys got it. But, but I guess the, 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 the long version of my question is, what what is sort of state of the art of testing or what you know what should we know about the the world of you know somebody who's sort of it's your craft if that's a fair okay. question yeah i don't think it's a good question i think that testing's about constant learning mm-hmm. uh, it's about um having a wide range of skills um you know there's talk about t uh, t-shaped people uh, just yeah. been reading a Shikawa. He talks about cone-shaped engineers or well-shaped engineers. And actually, this range of skills that you've got, your central skills here are tested. But actually, you can do lots of other things as well. You can write SQL. You can write some code. You can have opinions on uh, design. You can facilitate meetings. Um, so you, you've, you've got a range of skills. And you've always got to be interested in developing those skills. Um, I think one of the key skills is thinking critically, uh, because you're going to be looking at it and saying, 
how would that work? I think there's an also an important thing from looking at things from a customer's point of view. There's a range of skills, things, techniques you can do that. I've been quite interested in the uh, theory of jobs to be done, uh, which is something we use at Gecko Board. Um, I would say that there's, uh, I think interpersonal skills are really important as well because uh, you tend, you're giving bad news, you know. Mm-hmm. And so actually uh, psychology is very important. Very cool, yeah. um, so I think that that's really, that's uh, really very important as well. Um, but I think it's about continually learning. Um, and I, I've been working in testing for 20 years in a range of different roles, and I'm still learning. Uh and so I, I think that's really important. And I, I think for me, one of the important things to learn is is actually to go back to the greats like like Denning and, and, and be learning from them. Because if you're not working in a plan do study act cycle as a tester, you're going to have a problem because you've got to plan a test, you've got to execute the test, study the result, and then act on the result. Um, and I, I think it's really good to see things in that way. You're also looking to build quality in. You're not going to be the bad guy who comes along at the end and says, "Oh no, you can't ship it." Um, you're actually you, you want to be working with the developers uh, so that actually, when it's ready, it can just go. You know, and so at, this is the sort of thing that you're trying to learn. I'm trying to learn from from Demi, uh, and the, he helps us in so many different ways. Initially, I, I was very interested in the cycle, but then you found the applications of systems thinking in things like wanting to teamwork across the company. You know, that's really important mm-hmm. uh, because actually you need to be collaborating with the developers, with the designers, with the product owner, with customer supports. Uh, that, that's all Demi, uh, isn't it? You know? uh, so you, you, what you don't, the importance of things like driving out fear for a tester, that's really important uh, because if we can't ask naive questions um then in fact uh or difficult questions it, it it's gonna uh make our role very difficult and it also thinks it makes it far more difficult to ship quality products um uh, this is again something that Denning said so i said okay yeah there's, there's so much here and each time i look into something there's more and more you know uh remove the barriers to uh what he called good workmanship um uh, well, actually, yeah, that's really important, isn't it? You need to feel good about what you're doing. You need to be treated well. Uh, there's all sorts of things you can apply that to there. Uh, uh, one of the things that occurred to me that actually that if your development team hasn't got any women engineers in it, well, actually, you're missing out on some fantastic engineers. And actually, not having women engineers is a, a barrier to good work. Yeah, uh, and again, I would say if you've got uh, women engineers in your team and they feel they're not listened to, well, in fact, that, that, that's another barrier to good work because you're missing out on some fantastic engineering. Uh, no, I think there uh, there's so much there, right? Like the the psychological safety, um, you know, sort of aspect of, you know, just, and, and I agree. I mean, there was a great documentary, and I can't think what it is, where they, they really showed how diversity sort of, especially in sort of, marketing engineering or engineering of product ideas and stuff like that like having all male you know like it was just missing incredible opportunities but yeah i mean there's no doubt diversity adds um you know um you know um you know i would say exponential value but like but certainly um, more than just linear value but um 
Yeah, and and I think the, the other thing I love that you talked about, like early on when I was trying to understand the system of profound knowledge, right? Like you know variation, like you could you know, like you spend a lifetime because there's tons of information from manufacturing there, and you can sort of learn. Yeah. There are layers to it that that you know as you get deeper and deeper. Theory knowledge was a little bit harder because I had to go back and really figure out like where he got his, you know, you know, he mostly a lot got a lot of that from, uh, you know, sort of pragmatism and early philosophy. And in system thinking, again, they're another just, you know, once you realize he, you know, when he said appreciation for system, you know, somebody asked a question once, like, I wonder why he didn't just call it theory of systems thinking. Right. But. Right. I I, I think there's some theories of maybe why I think he figured that everybody already knew like system thinking, but that, that, that's a Deming thing. But serious psychology was the one that sort of I struggled with to really get beyond just cliches, you know, right. intrinsic versus extrinsic. We're done. But so I love when you said that, like, you know, a part of uh, theory of psychology in your work is you telling people bad news. Yeah. The, 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 the sort of empathetic transaction that you're going to have to sort of figure yeah. out from your side and their side and then like, and in fear, drive out fear. That's 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 like we're all like, can we? Do we feel? Depending, you know. Sometimes I feel like you know I'm the guy that speaks around the world, and I know this, and I know that. But then you put me in a sort of forum where there's like you know a bunch of PhD people, and I'm like, you know, I know I have a question here, but like, should I ask? You know, and like, <laughs> right. and so we all have that sort of thing, and, and yeah, yeah. you're right. It. It, it reduces quality in any sort of scenario where we don't, you know, where we're like, we just don't feel comfortable. And some people just make you feel comfortable. Right. But, but there's yeah. some people just don't know the comfort level of the people you're with. It's also very interesting in that um, I might raise this when I, I speak at conferences about Deming, uh, testing conferences, because there's been a discussion in the last couple of years about the importance of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I talk about Deming's 14 points, I say drive out there. Well, we talk about this now, the psychological safety. And one of the points Deming says is that management will struggle over every one of these 14 points. And actually, the fact that he wrote this book in 1982, I think he first get, spoke about the 14 points in Tokyo in 1978. Um, well, actually, show, and we're still talking about the need for it now, shows that struggle. And I think that one of the interesting things about the 14 points and, and the point I'm trying to make there is actually you can see that struggle there and actually you can depersonalize it. You're not sort of saying, actually, that's about my manager. Actually, this is about an, a longer issue. It's about education. It's about leadership. And in fact, that's a far easier way to deal with these things. And if you're feeling frightened at work, um, then, in fact, you know, it's not your fault. You know, it, it's, it's actually, it's an issue with leadership. And I think that makes it far easier to deal with. Um, the first time I spoke about this, someone came up out of the audience afterwards and said, Do you know, we have a climate of fear at work. And uh, that was a real tragedy because um, for her, for that in that particular developer, that was a real tragedy. For the whole team, it, it's really bad. For the whole company, it's really bad because they're going to be shipping poorer quality works. And for the company's customers, it's really right. bad as well. Um, and actually, because of the way Deming deals with these issues, you can see it in that context. And as an individual, you shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't feel threatened and you shouldn't feel it's your fault. 
you actually know that it's an issue to do with leadership. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the things when I first read New York and or not New York and uh, out of a, out of the crisis, I thought, oh, well, this is gonna be great. Uh, well, you know, for me, I, like I have said this many times, is we were in a DevOps open spaces, and I had read a whole bunch about um, Elliot Gorat and the goal, and and you know, yeah. but Gene, he sort of forced me, not forced me, to recommend that I read the goal before I read an article right. of the Phoenix Project. And then we were in open spaces and Ben Rockwood had basically said, John, it all goes back to Deming. And I'm like, ah, man, come on, don't just throw another name on my plate, you know. And and he said, well, do me this favor. Go sort of look at Deming's 14 points. Yeah. I did. And I'm like, holy crap, this could be a DevOps presentation. You know, this is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Deming said, um, I love what you know, he is this guy. I, I did this thing this morning for Dora Metrics, you know, on operational definitions, which is another. Oh, thing. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that in a second. And, you know, the people were talking about, like, you know, like how, you know, there's always oh, thing comes up about management and how we can't get it right in leadership. And I just said, you know, like Deming said, like in the 80s, you know, the tyranny of the prevailing style of management, you know, like if you yeah. came back today, he'd sit and go, yep, it's still the tyranny of the prevailing style of management, right? Yes, yes. You know, um, we, we, you know, I think we struggle, um, you know, and I, I don't know, like, you know, the, my other sort of pet peeves this is why I get excited when I see somebody like you in, in sort of software domains of like really understanding and taking damning stuff because, you know, you know, I know I'm yeah. down rabbit hole, but like I just think in our industry, we should at least give it a try because it's the, the stuff has been around for 100 years. Uh, it's used in, in nuclear power plants. It's been used for creating yeah. posters to cars, you know, and we just somehow ignore this level of operational science in our in in our domain. You know, it's, it's what drives me to speak, you know, uh, yeah, and it's yeah, what yeah. drives me to write uh, because uh, my understanding is that uh, these ideas largely come out of the, uh, the Bell Telephone in the 1920s when Bell Telephones were creating uh, what was the first national telephone system for the United States. This was a huge project that actually brought together tens of thousands of people, all sorts of people, and they they learned an awful lot. Shuhart was there, Deming was there, Duran was there. And uh, um, the lessons that I learned from that aren't taught in computer science courses. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, you know, um, I know a tester who's got an economics degree, and they were taught it on their economics course. Oh, really? uh, I think sometimes it comes on uh, an MBA. Um, and so I thought, well, actually, my life as a tester, the life of other testers is so much better uh, if we actually understand the lessons mm -hmm. that came from that time, the timeline that you've identified of Deming, Toyota, Lean, Agile. Uh, the good stuff comes out of, you know, comes out of that timeline, uh, mm -hmm. history of ideas. And uh, I want to share that. So that that's what that's what's been motivating me to do what I've been doing. Uh, but, and if our life is better as testers, actually, we're producing better quality work. We're producing better quality products. Um, so that there is a relationship there, and I that that's what really motivates me to do it. And I think it's a great shame that people these things aren't covered in computer science courses. Um, yeah. yeah, I think computer science. You know, I think. Uh, I was thinking Mark Burgess, who is um, one of the pioneers of infrastructure as code, and and he had, I was visiting with him last week, and he said, uh, 
the rumors of science and computer science are greatly exaggerated, you know? Um, you know, I mean, like the, you know, if you think about like the, it, you know, it sort of drives me nuts when I get invited to a university to talk to like the professors about their curriculum. And, yeah. you know, and I see that it's really sort of two worlds. It's like, like, well, it's three, it's like classic, you know, like compile a design curriculum or yeah. some of the, the better engineering schools are doing like, preparing their kids to go to like Google or, you know, like right. really sort of uh, distributed computing, but that's incredibly advanced. And that's a small subset of what people are going to yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the, the, the only other sort of discipline really is, um, is sort of the IT business management, which is basically right. stuff in the 90s, right? Oracle and, you know, yeah. and, and I look at the industrial engineering degrees or some of the supply chain, and yep. they're all over operations management. And, you know, some of them focus on Deming or some of them just take the aggregation of all these ideas into yeah. like operations research. But, you know, again, it wasn't just Deming, right? There was, like you said, Duran, it was Sheward, it was, there was a yeah. lot, of, it was Bell Labs, it was um, Toyota. Um, but the point is like, you know, make me king for a day. I would have, you know, I, I you know, you have the EE, you have the IE, right? What, yeah. Why don't I have like an SE, you know, a software and like that is yeah. it falls under the same like you take all the same right. classes that you take for industrial engineering. Yeah. Last year is all software composition or and, yeah. and we you're right. We just are um, we're not we're just not kids going to come. A lot of people I know in the Dallas community, like they'll actually try to hire a supply chain um, sort of IE student before they'll hire um, a computer science student. Okay. Yeah. They're more likely to have the kind of skills, the agile, the lean, yeah, 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 than they would if they're sort of been doing like advanced, you know, sort of distributed computing or cap theorem, RASP, whatever ish stuff, right? Yeah. Because um, yeah. one of the things I found is that when I introduced this to my talks for the first time, um, people said, "Oh, you're going to talk about software then," and you're. Well, actually, no, Agile didn't start with software. Okay, because so people tend to think, well, Agile started with the manifesto. You know, uh, I remember hearing someone say once, well, actually, NASA put astronauts on the moon with waterfall because it came before the, the Agile manifesto. And actually, well, th these are important bits of understanding of how, of what Agile is, because there was so much of Agile in place before the manifesto, like the... And do study act, and I, I feel it's that's why I, I talk about the history in that way because I think it gives people a deeper understanding. Uh, and the same with lean. I feel the need. I found the need to introduce and say what lean is, because again, people think it's some kind of software theory, whereas actually we all know it came from Toyota. Uh, and in fact, it, these things aren't covered on the degree courses, um, and uh, that, that's uh, I think is a bit of a problem. Well, that's what I try to do in my book, right? I, I really made my book more of a journey than a biography. I mean, I, you know, it's uh, my first sort of book that I've written all by myself, which, but so, um, you know, I, I, one of my best friends who was my first reviewer of the book, you know, I, you know, he told me I had way too many stories because I was, my goal was to write a Michael Lewis version of the Demi story or the, or the Bill Bryson. And my okay. Friend. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, and I think I've gotten reasonably close, but even this best friend of mine would say, John, you're not Michael Lewis, <laughs> you know, <laughs> point taken. But what I tried to do is um, somewhere along the way, I realized the story 
needed to be about this man's journey of understanding profound knowledge. Like, where did he get the pieces from? So, like, you know, or, you know, like, I think you mentioned Ishikawa, and I, I definitely want to talk to you about him. But there's so much, you know, more than just sort of the sort of Deming to Toyota to Lean to Agile, right? There's literally, you know, pragmatism or epistemology, right, which is a core of theory of knowledge. There is, there is, um, you know, sort of op- operational definitions, which I'd like to squeeze in. You yeah, know, yeah. Which comes actually from, you know, mainly from a physicist in physics, right? Um, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then you have like sort of what happened in Japan, you know, like in between Deming and Toyota, right? Like Ishikawa, Taguchi, right? Like all this stuff, right? Like, yeah. and and if if I look at these college curriculums, they're like my my son, so my son's taking, he's in his sophomore year in a supply chain, you know, and he knows he knows everything about Deming, and he's in this mass lecture hall. And, you know, he's now about, you know, five or six weeks into this, you know, supply chain 101 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he called me up that night. He said, Dad, my professor mentioned Dr. Deming, you know. <laughs> you know, he could, you know, I said, did you say anything? And he's like, no, it's a lecture hall, Dad, you know. So, but, but I mean, like, I, I don't even know to the extent they really get the narrative you know, the way I think you and I would think, okay, like if, if they asked us, <laughs> you know, yeah. hey, write a course that you'd need to know because everything you want to know for a sort of, I, you know, I'm assuming that you, you'd be like, how do I prepare future testers yeah. if I could, in a world where I could create, these are the things I would teach them. I think those would be the same, that would be the same curriculum that I would want to be part of like what I do from sort of management theory or DevOps or DevSecOps or IT risk, you know, put all that together. Yeah. I think it's also very interesting. One of the things I like about Deming is that, you know, it, it's not a big man theory of history. He's not the Napoleon of quality. He didn't yeah, do yeah, it all yeah. by himself. Oh, and actually, and I, I think the fact that he br- brings in ideas from different people, he refers to Schuhart as the master. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually there there is a I think an, an element of humility in that, and uh, and I think that's good for us all. Um, and the, the the work you've done in, in looking at the the background of all the different ideas, I think, is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. No, I love that quote. He's not the Napoleon. I mean, one of the things I I you know I quickly came to the conclusion especially in all the things that happened in Japan, the complexity of the people who went in first before Deming, how Deming wound up there, when Duran came in, then what the juice, like Ishikawa, and then what happened there, you know, uh, what was going on with statistics before Deming got there, right? Like, and, you know, so the the first thing, like, I, I wanted to be, like, crystal clear in my book, which was Deming did not create the miracle in Japan. Like, right. Japan created the miracle in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I love you. Like Deming is not the Napoleon of quality, and he did. He was incredibly humble, you know. Um, uh, on this, uh, just everything, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just story after story of like, and it's why the Japanese loved him, right? You know, mm-hmm. He just came in this gentle giant that was so wanted to understand their culture. He he said that the uh, the juice the the statisticians, the the engineers were the best students he ever had. Wow! And, you know, so he just like they loved him, and he loved them. You know, it was just. Uh, <laughs> but so you you said I, I love that. Um, you know, I've been really trying to go back and build this like interesting sort of, 
you know, sort of like graphic timeline of all the influences. And Ishikawa yeah. plays such a deep role in right. some things. So, um, so it sounds like you've done some uh, research on Ishikawa. Yeah, I, mean, I came across it because I was looking at different ways to carry out root cause analysis. Okay. And I discovered the Ishikawa diagrams. And I thought they were brilliant uh, yeah. because you can describe so much on one piece of A4. You can work at them as a group, all contribute to them. And now we're all online. Every app has got some kind of way of creating an Ishikawa diagram. So they are brilliant. And I became interested in through that. Uh, and uh, I recently read one of his books, uh, which I'm going to put a short uh, review of in a, a couple of weeks. And uh, I think, okay, this cone-shaped engineers. That sounds yeah, like T-shaped engineers. Awesome. Oh, where did that come from there? You know, yeah, cones, yeah. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And there was just like, okay, this is lots of really profound stuff. And the way he changed Plan Do Study Act to Plan Do Check Act. Um, and I understand Deming didn't like the check instead of study. Uh, I think discussion around that's quite interesting. I think for us as testers, if you're working on a Plan Do Study Act, study makes far more sense because sometimes you can feel pressured. I'm just going to check this and then move on. Well, actually, you don't want to. You want to study it. But it was also interesting, as I hadn't realised, as he subdivided do and plan into two separate parts and uh yeah. that makes that that makes you think a little bit more you know because they're about um uh education and training and uh, yeah. thinking what education and training you need when you're doing planning and then doing the education and training when you you do the do part and yeah. actually that's quite useful and it does emphasize um something that can sometimes be in a pressured situation be overlooked the need for education and training, the need for learning. Uh, And so I I thought that that was interesting as well. Uh, I thought, you know, one of the things I I think I've come to conclusion, so Deming was very, um, words mattered to him. And and so, you know, one of the things I wanted to go back and I wanted to really understand why he changed the C to S, right? And I think right. You're right. he felt that the sort of check was sort of a one, it, it was, it did, it sort of maybe implied that you, it wasn't sort of a cycle. Um, it also implied sort of this like sort of, um, you know, like stopping point or I would say a deterministic, like is it yes or no, okay. right? Which yeah. is typical to like the way he thinks, being especially being a sort of born in a quantum physics world. Uh, but I think the other thing I've realized, because it's the same thing with uh, when he changed like chance and assignable cause to um, to basically um, you know common and special cause, common and uh, and uh, and so, yeah, common and special cause, right? Um, I, I think part of that too was he wanted to make sure words mattered, but he also understood there was a difference between the culture of how a word was interpreted, particularly in a very intrinsic culture. Right, and and, and I, I read something the other day because I was going back and I was looking at Toyota Ono's Five Whys, and he used. You know, there's a lot of pushback today about root cause. In fact, I just did a podcast with right. sort of an old school uh, service management uh, Donna Knapp, yeah. and she wanted to ask me why you know why the the young kids or the new kids are all against root cause, and so you know I, I gave her my explanation and you know why I think people have you know feelings against it. But I went back and I saw uh, Toyota Ono's, you know, he talks about root cause in the five ways, right? Or, yeah. and, um, but then I read this article about how 
the um, you know, in a in a in a very intrinsic culture, you know that sort of a a a a, a root cause is less corrosive because you know let's face it, most of the people who worked at someone like Toyota felt they were they were empowering the company. So they didn't right. look at the sort of a blame or a like okay. the way the, the sort of Western culture has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think here's my sort of long-winded point is I think Deming, because he spent so much time in that, in immersed himself to culture, not just the training, like he was a big fan of Kabuki theater. I mean, he literally spent a lot of time immersed into that culture. I think he also, more than just words mattered, I think he understood the cultural references and differences where PDCA probably works well in its interpretation in Japan, but okay. in, in a Western culture could have the bit wrong meaning. And I think that, that that's yeah. also true with assignable and chance, you know, I think he, you know, so, so I think there's two levels. One, he really felt right. that you had to have the right words. And then two, yes. he understood sort of more than most how the cultural difference of a word might mutate the uh, interpretation. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So one of the things I, I, I just read is that Ishikawa, he wrote about Deming, and he says uh, Deming was a good friend of Japan who really knew Japan. And actually, um, that's that's a very powerful thing for him to have said. Yeah. Now, they, they, uh, if you read, um, his secretary wrote a book, uh, Cecil Kill, I, I forget the name, but her name, but she basically takes all his notes. And she published it. And it's basically, you know, like you get the like the real sense of, you know, how he'd be exciting to see somebody for uh sake or you know, and like you know, yeah. like he just like he loved, you know, you can read it, but then when you read his notes, you realize he just loved the culture. Um well, let's end with um so I've been really digging into the notion of operational definitions and yeah. uh, definition, and I I you know I it's again that sort of peeling the onion with Deming when you you know you read like New Economics and he mentions it a bunch of times and you sort of see it sprayed throughout the book and you're like yeah this is important and at some point the, for me like a lot of things with Deming the light bulb went off and I'm like oh oh now I understand what he was talking about in chapter two and how that this and literally I just did a presentation this morning to the Dora folk about you know the the uh, the Dora metrics. And how um, you know we don't have clear operational definitions for like lead time and yeah, yeah, yeah. as an industry we really need to sort of do better and follow yeah. our hats of some of the other disciplines like nuclear power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what what are your thoughts about operational definitions or definition? They're, they're a great thing for testers, you know. But it, it gives us a way of talking about something that we do because if, if we're going to planning. We want to have the idea of operational definitions at the back of our mind or at the front of our mind, yeah, actually, yeah. when we're there, because we've all been to a planning meeting where someone said, oh, we're going to make a better, whatever it is, or yeah, faster, yeah. Or, or more easy to use. And everyone says yes. And but there's a test. You say, well, actually, how do we know? You know, And um, Deming's able to articulate that and it's not just you saying it then actually you know there was this guy Deming and he, he said actually we want to be able to have some criteria and uh, you know sampling and then uh, okay so actually really 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 very useful uh, and I always included in my talks uh, because uh, I think testers find that that particularly useful 
Yeah, no, I, the the feedback I got from the door community, I thought like it was going to be dangerous going into the lion's den and and sort of like right. in some way insinuating that like the, the you know and and everybody was real positive. Do you find that most people in the testing community don't really? I mean, you know, this is my sort of bug about sort of DevOps in general, certainly Dora. And and again, I think for anybody listening, I think Dora, you know, what Nicole and Jez, you know, did yeah. fantastic for our industry, unquestionably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of 10 years later and now, like, let's really act like engineers. Right. Do you find, and so, but the, my sort of thing is we're not, right? We're using these metrics and we're, we're sort of not having clear operational definition. Do you find that in testing that's the case too, or most people aren't being clear, or do you find that people tend to be better at that in general? I think testers feel that one of our roles is to try and make things explicit. Okay. Uh, one, uh, one of the things I admire about developers is how they will take a, uh, a user story or a spec that's got lots of implicit requirements in it, and they'll they'll admire it, and they'll, they'll get it, they'll, they'll understand it, and they'll, they'll produce what's expected of them. Whereas a tester, you're sitting and say, actually, I'm not quite sure what that means. That can mean one thing or it could mean something else. Uh, are we assuming that this is this has been done before we do that? And having those questions um, does save work later down the line. So I think that this is still an issue. Um, and I, I would have said in the development community generally, I would have thought this is still an issue. Testers are, are part of that community. So actually, I think operational definitions are really useful. Yeah, I, I I really would like to sort of see it really sort of brought to the forefront on, on a lot of our sort of DevOps, DevSecOps, and IT risk conversations. Um, which brings me to sort of uh, maybe a last discussion. This has been great, actually. Uh, I've been really enjoying this. Um, you know, uh, one of the guys I work with, Bill Bensing, you know, and he's he had an operations research background, and then he did a lot of software development and architecture at Red Hat with me, and, and now we're working together on some um, sort of automated governance stuff. And you know, I share my knowledge of learning and Deming. He shares his research. And, you know, one of the things I think we we think is an interesting concept is in in software, we we focus on, on requirements, but in other disciplines, there's more focus on specification. So I think right. it's an interesting conversation probably to have about the difference between a, sort of a requirement and a specification in software delivery. I don't know if you had any Essentially, I, I, I've not been part of that discussion, actually. Um, I haven't seen that. I mean, it could be because I've worked largely in startups and we tend to use user stories um, and haven't got the, the large documents, which I'd imagine you've got elsewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there would be a difference. I can see that there can be. There's a difference in meaning. Um, uh, but so we... we, we Tend to think is is this user story adequate? Have I got enough points here? What about the acceptance criteria? Uh, and uh, the discussions based around that. I think seeing this, these, I guess what you're suggesting is you'd see the user stories as specification, and you need to no, think how know. is that mixed up to requirements? Or there's, there's a boundary between sort of creative ideation and sort of rote manufacturing mentality, right? So I like I don't really know what the right balance and answer is there right yes. i do believe that we do fall more on sort of the ideation and the knowledge creation which you know is i mean it's yeah, important, yeah. Of course. yeah and but maybe a little more spotlight on the notion of uh you know which brings in the variance and to your point like again um you know what if you could be better at sort of uh, go no go 
for acceptance testing and you know you could use more statistics i don't know i mean i it literally uh it, lately it's just me and bill having this sort of conversation we're going to try to write about it a little bit more but i was trying to since when you brought up the acceptance testing and, and the part of testing it just made me think about right. that question so uh, so to be determined <laughs> so, yeah 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 well um mike this has been fantastic um how do people find you uh, find me on uh, Mastodon on Twitter, where I'm uh, at uh, Test and Analysis. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Mike Harris, uh, and uh, I've got a, a blog, which is uh, Test and Analysis uh, on WordPress. So that'd be great if you join me. Find me there. Thank you very much. Yeah, I put I put all the links in the show notes, and uh, it was good. This is good. I, I know we've been trying to set this up for a little bit while now. I know we're. I'm sort of loving all these sort of fellow DevOps travelers, you know, that we're sort of, we're, you know, we're running into each other a lot on LinkedIn and stuff. And it's just a lot of fun. That's nice. Well, good. Well, thank you, sir. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. Nice to have the conversation. All right.